remember how I promised with yesterday's episode that today's would be all about the additions that the team would make as opposed to the cuts? Well, that part came across as pretty prescient, I'm sure. But now, I'm, I'm not there with this. I, I, Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dayon Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into hockey and or baseball. I also offer Daily Shots of Penguins and Pirates in the same place that you found this. Yeah, there were cuts. You know what they were by now. Nothing there really floored me. Joe Haig being gone probably would have been a bigger surprise for me had Haig not had the concussion issue that held him out the past couple weeks. Concussions, you know, you just never really know how that's going to go, especially at a position where you're, you know, ramming heads with people on a consistent basis. Anthony McFarland, again, nothing there where you go, oh, whoa, they cut Anthony McFarland when you knew exactly where he was on the depth chart and that he hadn't really gotten any better. And the additions, while they're both welcome, I don't know. Uh, Let's go over them, okay? The first one is Malik Reed from the Broncos. This one is is a plus. This, as I had mentioned yesterday, was the position of need, backup outside linebacker, because in the Steelers' scheme and the way T.J. Watt operates, it's not even really a backup job. You're out there a lot. T.J. taps out a lot. T.J. has to keep himself at a certain rate of performance in order to be effective. What makes T.J. who he is is the motor, so the motor's got to keep running. And just for the same reason you would freak out every time you saw Anthony Ciccolo come on the field, You have to have somebody doing that. That's just the way it works when you have the best defensive player on the planet and want to make sure that he stays that way. Reed's 26 years old. He's logged 2,000-some snaps over three years in Denver. He had 700 in each of the last two seasons. He's been a player. Over those two seasons, he also had 14 sacks. That's... Not bad. That's pretty productive. And whether or not he'll be a fit here, whether or not he'll have an adjustment period over time, I don't know. The one thing that I've heard about him that immediately I really like right off the bat is that he's a model citizen. He's not going to come in and Melvin Ingram you and complain about this or that or basically walk out on the team in midseason. So that's encouraging. Okay, I don't mean to sound all negative about the whole day. That part is encouraging. There's no way to not appreciate adding Reed. But the reason I'm uh, a little less than enthused about all this is that there's no way. There's no way this is it when it comes to this offensive line. There just can't be any way that this is it. What can you expect at Point Park University in downtown Pittsburgh? Respect. Rigor, relevance, that's the Point Park pledge. You'll be treated with respect while being challenged and supported academically to graduate with career-ready, relevant skills. Visit pointpark.edu to learn more. Just as Reed was acquired from Denver in a trade, so too was Jesse Davis, the guard-slash-tackle 
acquired in a trade with Minnesota. I'm not here to isolate on individual trades. That that's you know fantasy football stuff that doesn't interest me. Uh, the exchanges that the Steelers made with these teams appear to have been fair. Also, if you'll recall from yesterday's show, I did say that any player on the offensive line, regardless of where they stood on the depth chart, should be supplanted by an outside player if that outside player is even marginally better than the one that's in-house. Such is the state of that particular room. So I'm not going to be a hypocrite and say, well, they got this guy and he's really not going to be all that great and there's no way he's going to start and there probably isn't, barring injury. But if the team saw him as being better than Haig or even just safer than Haig, given Haig's concussion, then it was a worthwhile move. I'm okay with it. But that can't be it. There's no magic wand. The supply of effective offensive linemen in the league was pretty much exposed yesterday. When you saw these cuts come down, you didn't see a whole truckload of, whoa, this guy is there. There weren't any, actually, when it comes to the offensive line. And teams won't be eager either to give up guys in trades. But you can always raise the ante on a trade. You can always push a little bit harder. You can give up a higher pick, something that you'd normally be uncomfortable giving up. If I told you three years ago, for example, that the Steelers somehow in the first month of the season were going to end up with Minka Fitzpatrick for a first rounder sent to Miami, you'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely going to happen. But it did. It did. Why? You keep all the options open. Even if this offensive line were to somehow magically get it all together in practice, like today, today's the last practice and then the team is off again till next Monday. If they were just to look like the the old Washington Hogs and then carry that into the Bengals game and mow down the Cincinnati defensive front, you still have to keep this door wide open. The other door that needs to be kept wide open is the obvious, which is that Davis should at least be given something of a chance to show what he can do, in particular at left guard. Left guard is one of his positions. Left guard is, of course, also the position at which the Steelers attempted to at least put up the facade of a duel between Kevin Dawson and Kendrick Green that went absolutely nowhere. Green basically played himself right out of the job way more than Dotson played himself in. Well, you can keep that theme running because there's no reason to trust either of them. Green on a performance standpoint, Dotson on an availability standpoint. Put Davis in that mix. Put him in that mix the moment he arrives. No, he's not going to be a left tackle. you just got to figure things out with Dan Moore. But you can help to solidify that side. Everything and everyone to the left of Mason Cole by putting Davis right into that mix. When we come back, J1Q.
edition of Daily Shot of Steelers is brought to you by our friends at Mike's Beer Bar. They're located directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. They are the one, the only, the premier destination in Pittsburgh for craft beer. More than 500 craft beers available, more than 350 of those local, and more than 80 of those on tap. Mike's can't be topped, not for beer, not for the awesome kitchen and menu that's available, not for all the special events that are going on there. Check them out online at mikesbeerbar.com. Mike's Beer Bar, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. And today's J1Q comes from Christopher Holcomb, who asks, maybe it's just me, DK, but the last two offensive line coach have been abysmal. So maybe it's not just the offensive line men. Maybe it's the coaching that's not getting the best out of them. And maybe it's time to go ahead and call up Mike Munchak and ask him or better yet, beg him to come back. What are your thoughts on this? My thoughts are, first off, Chris, that Munchak has quite the fan base in Pittsburgh. He comes up every time somebody misses a block. My further thought is that unlike a lot of these types of narratives where the fans just rally around someone without even necessarily knowing or understanding what it was that they did or do, this one's this is dead on. This is dead on. You can say what you want about the experience and the talent level that Munchak worked with while he was in Pittsburgh, having all pro versions of Marquise Pouncey, David DeCastro, Ramon Foster, Alejandro Villanueva becoming a Pro Bowl guy, Marcus Gilbert over on the right side. But he found a way not only to coach them up, which sometimes can be an even greater challenge when you're dealing with known commodities and guys who've already kind of made it, or in this case, really made it, but he also brought them together. He also made them a unit. He made them one of the NFL's best units. And as someone who would sit in the one end zone in Latrobe and pay more attention to those guys and the drills that they were doing, I can tell you firsthand that he was a teacher above and beyond anything else. Even when he was dealing with someone like Pounce, he was a teacher, a hands-on teacher. He would stop even the most routine drill if he saw something that he didn't like with footwork or hand positioning. And he would demonstrate to them right in front of them how it should have been done and then make them do it again. And not in a nasty way. Guy's kind of soft-spoken and not a loud voice. Everyone paid attention because they felt like they were missing something if they didn't. You know, like somebody's offering you all of the answers to the test and you're crazy for not listening to it. You know, as for the most recent positional coaches, you know, Adrian Clem wasn't here for very long. I think everyone can pretty much agree that that didn't go well. I mean, my goodness, when you get booted out three quarters of the way into a season, yikes. And that kind of speaks for itself. And it's incidentally the head coach acknowledging a mistake, which you can both give him credit for, but also understand that it was his mistake. Pat Meyer, the new offensive line coach, comes from the Panthers. He's been in the NFL for a long, long time. 
So he's going to have more of a pedigree to him than Clem, who was brand new to this. He's going to have more of a license, I believe, a leash with which to operate. But I'm sorry. How do you look at this preseason and say to yourself, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that guy had them ready. I mean, they were getting spun around like tops as recently as a week ago. As ever, when you're talking about team sports and especially one like football in which there are so, so, so many people involved more than any other sport, 53 just in the players alone, the truth is somewhere in mixing it all together. Yeah, there are some bad players. Kendrick Green appears to be, at this stage of his career, a bad player. I'm not sure you could bring Munchak down from Mount Olympus and have him turn Green into a good player. But I would like to think that he'd make a difference with someone like Dan Moore, because we've seen flashes from Moore. We've seen Moore shut down, for the most part, Miles Garrett in a head-to-head matchup. And yet we're now seeing Moore really, really struggle. That's a big, big concern. So if there were a way for Tomlin or the Steelers to bring in another coach at this stage of the game, I don't know. I mean, that can be disruptive. It can undermine the guy. It would undermine the guy you've already got on the job. But then you could also do it Brian Flores style where you just say, listen, Brian Flores is sitting out here and he's available. I don't care what his title is. He's coming into the building with us. Maybe. I don't know. You know, you're right, though. There's no stability here. There's no stability here. And that doesn't help either. And some of the players, by the way, will privately attest to that. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Steelers. We'll do another one of these tomorrow. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.